Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. This week, we're doing something a little different, playing the interviews we just recorded live at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Our first guests that evening were Corin Tucker and Lance Bangs, Portland's premier creative power couple and friends of the program. Corin is, of course, a rock and roll legend. She sings and plays guitar in Slater Kinney, as well as a bunch of other bands. These days, she's collaborating with R.E.M.'s Peter Buck in the new band Filthy Friends. Lance is a renowned director who works mostly in music videos and comedy. He's worked with Nirvana, Odd Future, Jen Kirkman, and Hannibal Burris, among many others. He's also been very involved with the Jackass movies and TV shows. So if you've ever seen them do something on film that was so gross that it made the cameraman throw up, well, that cameraman was probably Lance. And since we recorded this episode the night after Valentine's Day, we figured we'd talk a little bit about how Lance and Corin have kept all this up through two decades of loving marriage. Anyway, let's go to the stage at the Listen Up Festival in Portland, Oregon. So the two of you have been married for nearly 20 years now. How did you meet? I'd like to hear your version. We well, met. I think. <laughs> <laughs> we met in Olympia, Washington, in 1996. But we, we had spoken on the phone, right? We met in Athens, Georgia. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And... Um, the spring of 1996, Corn's in a really tremendous band called Slater Kinney. They were doing a tour for an album called uh, Call the Doctor that came out on a great label run by a, a Portland legend, Donna Dresch, her label Chainsaw Records at the time. Lance, I'm uh, just taking notes on yeah. different things, different real things you can say that are guaranteed to get applause from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they put out this record and, and did a tour in the spring uh, down the East Coast and into Athens, Georgia, which was a... a wonderful music town that I was living in at the time and they played a show at the 40 watt club and uh I went and there weren't a ton of people there I think it's fair to say um <laughs> there were there were three of us and uh <laughs> and uh met Carrie and kind of exchanged information like phone numbers with her this is pre-cell phone for any of us um with the idea that I wanted to film uh whenever they wrote their next record I was really fascinated by the interplay of the two of them and the songwriting and the intensity on stage and that it felt like something that I wanted to kind of film the process of them uh, writing. But anyway, uh, <laughs> in October of 1996, I was visiting Seattle primarily uh, with the artist Chris Bilheimer and we went up to go run around with um, Dave Grohl, uh, who had just kind of put together the Foo Fighters and done like a tour or two with that as an early lineup of that. And then uh, Billy Joe from Green Day was sort of getting away from the Bay Area and just going up to Seattle to kind of decompress and get away from all the insanity of like the reaction to their first major label record. Um, Do you want to add any more names yeah, to this? Is, all this was like, all this was all kind of like conflating. Meryl Streep was yeah. there, and, and in this like weird context of all these people, I was not a person that ever got tattoos or you know that wasn't like part of my sensibility. Drove down to Olympia to kind of go to a party at the Martin Apartments, or no, at the K, K Records, Records building, uh, and 
coming down the stairs to add one more name to the weirdness of this like 24 hour period. Um, Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys, who was secretly... I was, was going to guess Robert Goulet, but Who was ahead. kind of like <laughs> semi-secretly dating Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill at the time. And the two of us like spotted each other in the stairwell in this, wait, what are you doing here? Wait, what are you doing here? Like, you know, not a place that two dudes should have been uh, passing through at that time, probably. And then Corn and I had another conversation that night and sort of connected more and um, started to fall for each other. You know, when you were on the show last time, Corin, you talked about kind of the origin story of you becoming an artist, which basically, as I recall, was you at a Bikini Kill show uh, just like looking up and being like, oh, I guess I'm a professional musician now. <laughs> like, this is all I am in the entire world. Um, I can only imagine how intense that is to go from that to a few years later, like actually being in a band that's a thing. Yeah. Like, just like, what? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, it was pretty, pretty wild just to be like, that's what I want to do with my life. And that I'm willing to like, you know, not think about, ever getting paid a reasonable amount. Like I had a college education that I felt like I was just kind of tossing out the window, you know, and I was doing this thing where you drove around in a van and showed up at a weird, strange place and talked into a weird, creepy microphone and sang, you know, and, and, um, so to actually do that and then do it in front of people and have people react the way they did, it was, it was all very, um, very intense the first few years, for sure. Lance, I feel like you are very at home in the peripatetic, like, just show up at stuff lifestyle. Yeah, I um, I left home and traveled quite a bit when I was a teenager, adolescent, and got really into the feeling of uh, being lost and, and wandering around a place and trying to figure out how to map yourself or, or get around and enjoy that uh, sort of slight danger or not having a stable place to go to and, and then figuring out how to survive or, or move around through that. So I enjoy those situations. and basically about what we call hobo skills. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> and have really enjoyed um, doing that. And the things that interest me or excite me, I have a strong compulsion to go there and jump in and be involved in it. And so... Pretty shortly after that, uh, despite living in Athens, Georgia at that time, I would find ways to come out to Olympia, Washington, where Corin was, and spend time or visit or take her on, talk her into kind of like leaving where she was to go on trips. Um, we drove up towards Seattle, and then I went down to Los Angeles at the era that there were still like larger music videos happening. And there was a particularly miserable like frozen winter that hit Portland, where everything was kind of in ice storms and damaged, and talked Corin into kind of like leaving and coming down to L.A., um, and that probably was where we really like cemented the, the core of the, the relationship. Did you ever go on dates, like date dates? Did you ever go ice skating or bowling? Or? We did a lot of that stuff. And, you know, for two people that were pretty immersed in like a underground subcultural life, we ended up like just enjoying each other's company and going to things because they were what you walked past. Like, so we went and saw a pretty mediocre Meg Ryan movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Courage Under Fire. Uh, 
just because we were like wandering the streets of Seattle and it was at like the Cinerama Dome type of theater and you know held hands at a bad. That's movie. when I knew I was like, this is serious because this movie is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But we went on dates that I didn't even know were dates. Like, it took me a while to understand that Corner was interested. I didn't think it was like a possibility. I thought she was someone that I was hoping to get comfortable enough with that I could sort of film her writing process or creative process for what would turn into the record Dig Me Out. Um, and it, it was kind of, I was a bit too dense to understand that she was uh, romantically curious. But were you sweet on her? Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> But it didn't seem like it was like in the cards or an option at that time period. But then like when I would say I had to go drive up to the FedEx station at the Seattle Tacoma airport, and she's like, oh, I'll come along, it, it started to click. Corin, did you think you were dating at this point? I, let me just say that it was a surprise to me this you know, very different person showed up in, and in my life that I was having feelings for. Um, and we didn't, we didn't call it that. We, it wasn't like, there was no formality to it. I was ready at all times for it to disappear. Right. Cause that was like the nineties was like, you know, the X files and like everything, like trust no one. Right. Like that was, that was like the tagline for everything. Like, you know, I remember the nineties. Yeah. The X-Files. Yeah. So, um, so I felt like it was all very... Watching Get a Life with My Dad. Uh, <laughs> all the cool stuff from the yeah. 90s. Yeah. And I think, um, and I think it was, it, it seemed very, um, you know, fraught with, there was a lot of drama and, and peril at the time. It seemed like it was, there was no way it was going to actually last. Like we lived the, on opposite sides of the continent at a time that neither of us had like fantastic wealth to just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What was the drama in peril from your perspective, Corin? <sighs> Jesse. <laughs> um, okay. Let me try and give you the PG version. So I had just gotten out of relationship a year previously with my bandmate, Carrie Brownstein. And, um, you know, as women sometimes do when they're in a relationship, it takes a very long time for those feelings to subside and for people to be cool with, uh, you know, dating other people. Um, this was true in our experience. And so this, um, this young man showed up in our life and, um, not everyone was cool with it. In fact, no one was cool with it. (laughs) No one was okay with it. No one was, was, was happy that he was there except me. So, um, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of drama. Yeah. That happened where, um, you know, he continued to show up at Slater Kinney shows and, um, you know, that was sometimes seen as like, should this still be happening? Why is he still here? That continued for several years. I really, I feel like he was tested. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the distinctive part of that situation isn't necessarily so much that it would be hard to 
let go of a past relationship is that most of us who have an ex in our life aren't required to like do intimate emotional performances with yeah. them like six nights a week yeah. to pay our rent. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very challenging thing to do that and, and to, to kind of grow up, you know, because we could, we knew some part of us knew the band was really, was about so much more than us and our story. You know what I mean? Like people all over the country related to our story because it was about this queer relationship and it was so that was so not okay in our culture at that point that there were so many other people that said like this is this is helping me we need to talk about this and so we could see even though we were kids at that point we could see that there was that that was an important thing that was bigger than ourselves and so we did try and um you know and grow up and 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 let other people into our lives and learn to you know, be okay with that and be accepting eventually. More with Corin Tucker and Lance Bangs when we come back from a short break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Babbel. Have you always wanted to speak a new language? Whether it's for travel, work, or brain training, Babbel's 10 to 15 minute lessons will get you speaking confidently in your new language. Choose from Spanish, French, and more. You'll learn through real-life dialogue, speech recognition, and interactive trainers. And Babbel's spaced repetition method actually makes you remember what you've learned. Download the app or go to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com to try Babbel for free. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice welcome back to bullseye i'm jesse thorne we're bringing you an episode recorded in front of a live audience at revolution hall in portland oregon part of the brand new podcast festival listen up right now I'm talking with singer-songwriter Corin Tucker and her husband, director Lance Bangs. Did the two of you, when you got serious, talk about what it meant to be serious when, Corin, you were largely touring for a living and Lance, you were working in film where you had to be wherever you had to be to work in film? Like, yeah. It's not like you moved to Burbank, you know. What no, I, mean? I um, I think I deliberately didn't move down to like Southern California and, and take straight traditional work down there, uh, but rather would find projects where I could 
go shoot something in a city that I knew that they would be at for three days. Like if they were going to be doing three New York City shows, I would try and line up like a music video in that area uh, and then know that I could run down to Philadelphia as well. Um, and then taught myself how to edit footage at home so that I could, rather than going down to L.A. to cut in an edit room, like taught myself to edit on early digital video platforms in the house and would um, sort of make handmade videos and invite bands to come shoot something with me while they're in Portland rather than me always traveling around to go shoot with them and then would cut that footage together here in town and try and like be present and be uh, involved in raising our children. When the two of you decided to have kids, and I, I presume you decided to have kids, you can tell me if that's wrong, but, um, uh, but when the two of you decided to have kids, uh, did you think about, like, did, Corin, did you think about what that meant for your alternate life as a rock star? I think most people have sort of a romanticized idea of what being a parent is going to be like, you know? I just assumed you were going to say rock star, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was, you know, it was just so much more challenging than, than you think it's going to be. So I was pretty overwhelmed, I think, with being a mother, and I didn't really know how I was going to continue to be a musician and an artist, you know, I was like, well, you know, I don't know if that, how that's going to continue. And, and I think that, uh, I was really lucky enough to, you know, have like the songwriting partnership with Carrie Brownstein because she, she could see that I was struggling and she came to me to write our next record. And we wrote it in my house when my baby was like sleeping and I'm really proud of that record. And, and we just pushed, we just pushed really hard. We worked really hard, um, to keep going and to keep playing shows. And Lance, you know, was there as, as much as he possibly could be. Um, and you know, I think having multiple strategies to, you know, get help, get childcare, get friends, all of that kind of stuff, I think is so essential at that, especially at that crucial time. It felt particularly intense and that the stakes were even higher because we had tried to organize and plan things out where once we found out that we were going to have a, a child, um, I kind of like lined up that I was going to work up until a certain point and then stop and, and take over. And our son ended up being born about 10 weeks premature. And so I had to leave what I was doing and come back and, and be there and be present uh, during that time period. And he spent some time in like a neonatal intensive care unit and then when he was ready to come home, uh, we took him back to the house and kind of set things up. But it added a sense of, of concern and, you know, if he was going to survive or what the complications could be and, you know, kind of stopping what we were doing to really try and focus on that for a while. But juggling that with, like, the income that we were going to have during that chunk of the year was me working on a film uh, in California. And so trying to figure out how to, to go back and forth. Where did the two of you get married? <laughs> We got married at the DMV in Iceland. <laughs> I was like, I was like, let's go on a vacation to get married. Like, we don't need to do any traditional wedding thing. Let's go somewhere cool that we've never been. And, and on my end of it, I wanted to go to a country that did not have a military, that did not have nuclear uh, infrastructure, and that no you were one else worried could... that your wedding would be nuked. Yeah, and I, I wanted to go like. Where no one else could show up or, or tamper with it or, or you know, uh, 
uh, just have it be about the two of us going somewhere. And culturally, Iceland is not a, a country where marriage is like a super prominent infrastructure, you know, part of their culture. And so it, it genuinely was like the building that's also their DMV. Like people will have children and start a family together and maybe eventually drop by and pick up a marriage certificate, but it's not a huge uh, cultural thing there. So we just had whatever two women were working at the DMV um, perform a simple ceremony for us. They were lovely. They yeah. they had candles. Once they realized, Once they realized what we were doing, they were like, oh, we're marrying you. Yeah. They like <laughs> laid out some candles and it was beautiful. Yeah. I like the idea that the DMV in Iceland has some candles just in case yeah. <laughs> things get romantic. <laughs> How much time elapsed between the two of you marrying in the DMV in Iceland and you, Lance, being responsible for making the wedding video of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston? I was that before we got married or after we got married? I think it was after you okay. got married. Yeah. So can we talk about that? I, it's, it's in the press. Um, <laughs> I read about it. Okay. I, yeah, I don't think I've ever talked about it, but I guess it's been reported. You did in the one I read. Okay. Um, <laughs> too late now, Lance. Yeah. So, uh, Brad Pitt, and sort of his peers around him, uh, David Fincher, Spike Jones, Catherine Keener, Ed Norton, they didn't want to have like a, a normal like wedding video team around during what they were trying to pull off. Um, they were trying to keep it as private as they could. They, they got this property in Malibu that they were going to go do this ceremony at and try and avoid any like paparazzi and TMZ and all that sort of thing and hired me as like a documentary filmmaker to come, you know, shoot the whole thing with my sensibility or, or perspective. Um, so I went and did this very surreal, crazy thing of, of doing that. And because it's along the coastline and anything where like sand gets wet is fair game to anybody, but it's a bit remote of a location. There are people who are going out on boats and then launching themselves on surfboards with cameras and monopods, surfing in to hit the beach and then try and take photos up towards where things are going on. So it's just this like crazy uh, situation dynamic going on. They literally had like weather balloons yeah, to prevent to try people and from hovering over the wedding in helicopters. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I made this very lovely film and gave them the one copy that exists and then oh, Bill and Sebastian did a song for it. Like they did uh, they covered their version of like the theme, the theme from Friends, like I'll be there for you. Um, and uh, yeah. That's, that's, I'd buy that. Yeah, it's lovely. That sounds pretty yeah. solid. Yeah. And then uh, that, I made one copy of it and gave it to them, and that's the only copy of that film. What was it like to have just been married? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely, you know, the surreal opposite end of just two people alone without anyone around in a DMV. Yeah. Um, do you two still love each other? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more so than... Yeah. Yeah. Last night we had the best Valentine's Day ever. <laughs> we let me just let me preface what happened. That baby that we were talking about that we raised together kicked us out of the house because he's now almost 18 and he wanted the pad to create a vegan feast for his girlfriend. <laughs> so he was like he kept texting us like, Are you going out? Are you going out? Are you going? I'm like, what is going on? He's like, oh, I want to cook dinner. So we went out and took our 11-year-old 
out to dinner and we wanted to go to her choice, her choice, <laughs> the cheesecake factory, which was <laughs> standing room only. There was no, we, we walked up to the cheesecake factory and I was like, there were like 300 people, angry people trying to get a table in there. And there was like, there's no way we're getting in there. You couldn't even play the Slater Kinney card? <laughs> no. Like, hi, I'm Corn Tucker from Slater Kinney. Oh you my God. would know me. Decemberists are already employees. in there. They're already in there. Like, every other Portland musician has already played that card. It was packed. So we're out. And we're like, it's very cold and rainy. And we're like, oh, there's no, no place is going to be open. And we went and checked at this other restaurant. No tables. They offered that our 11-year-old could like sit at the bar in one chair. And that we could be like outside in a <laughs> patio while she was at the bar. Like, <laughs> it was looking really dicey. And then our daughter looked over and saw like a Jimmy John's. And she's like, Mom, we could just go. And I was like, that's not happening. We're not going to a sandwich facility. So we walked over to a brew pub that was mercifully open and we're seated and had a lovely dinner together. And I was like, this is the best Valentine's Day ever. Well, Lance and Corin, you're the best ever. Thank you very much for joining us on Bullseye. Thank you, Jesse. Corin Tucker and Lance Bangs. Lance Bangs and Corin Tucker recorded live at the Listen Up Festival in Portland, Oregon. Corin has a new project, a band called Filthy Friends. It's a collaboration between her and Peter Buck of R.E.M. Their debut record, Emerald Valley, drops in May. Corin also shared some exciting news not long ago. Slater Kenny is back. They're working on a new album that should be out later this year. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, which is where I am right now. But the show that you just heard was recorded in Portland, Oregon, and I was using a desk made entirely out of hockey sticks. That is not in our rider. That's just an extra service that the festival provided for us. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. The two of them ran the show in Portland and did a great job. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Shayna Deloria. Special thanks to everyone at the Listen Up Fest in Portland. Shauna Noah, Isaac Watson, Travis Lobby, many others. They all did a wonderful job, and we were very grateful to be invited. Our interstitial music is by DJW, the great Dan Wally. Thank you for sharing it with us, Dan. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It's by the band Go Team. They and their label, Memphis Industries, provided it to us. Thanks to them, of course. And before you go, I have been making this show for over 15 years now. That means hundreds and hundreds of interviews, literally hundreds and hundreds. Pretty much every one of those episodes is archived on our website at MaximumFun.org. You can also find all of our most recent interviews on our YouTube channel. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on YouTube. Uh, You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Bullseye as well. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.